New Black Nation, your political digest with a Black conservative twist. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of New Black Nation podcast. I am Brandon Wong. I'm Gregory Victoria. And we are here to continue to dish out your worldview with a Black conservative twist. I change it every time, but I just love to experiment with the different ways that we can talk about how we're going to bring wonderful information to you. Um, so in this uh, week's episode or this episode in particular, we're going to be um, doing a continuation in a sense from our last podcast um, to kind of broach the topic more about socialism and then on the second part of the conversation or the second um, segment, the next half hour, I guess, after this half hour, would be talking about something I feel very passionately about and, and something that hits me really hard um, as of the recent days. Um, and that's the idea or the dreaded idea of the third party syndrome, right? So does America need a third party and what does that third party or fourth party looks like? Um, and why would that be the case based on what we see today? So let's get right into it and let's start talking um, for our first segment about socialism in America. Um, on the last episode, um, Greg was um, very um, supportive of a lot of socialist-like policies. And I kind of uh, said to him, or I was really more so perplexed um, as to why he would support some of these systems in place um, like universal health care and universal education and all of those fun socialist kind of trope things that we've seen from Bernie Sanders. Um, and I wanted to kind of pick more into Greg's brain on that and see why he supports that. Um, and then I would uh, I wanted to shed some light on, you know, socialism in, in action and in practice and how it was used in the supposed socialist state of um, Sweden, um, even though they have animately said that they are not socialists and they do, uh, do not uh, ever consider themselves to be socialists. But let's begin with that, Greg. So I'll give you some time to kind of explore, express your point and explain to the audience uh, why you agree with universal universal health care um, and all of those universal umbrella policies? Well, when we talk about balancing our system and to make it equal for everyone, I think that's the best way to start because uh, the 1% and um, most um, people already have the advantage over us. So what I mean by that, um, I feel like if everything is squared off uh, with uh, free education, free healthcare, I feel like in our community, um, our brothers and sisters would have a better chance, um, you know, of getting a good education because what's happening now, where I grew up in Brooklyn, most people couldn't send their kids to college. It's, it's not because those kids, you know, um, didn't hit the grade. It's not because um, they didn't uh, do well in high school. It's because they didn't have the money to do it. So because they didn't have the money to do it, a lot of these young men and young women just, you know, hit the street. You know, they do what they have to do um, to survive. So I feel like this is hurting the poor community um, more and we're going to have more people in poverty, we're going to have more problems because a lot of these kids, a lot of these young men, young women, they are not able to go to college if their parents cannot afford it. Imagine a, um, a household with four kids, five kids. You know, that's a lot of money for college um, tuition. So if those things are eliminated, that will be less stress in the household. Mm hmm. Okay. Um, so I see um, your argument. I, 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 I don't necessarily agree with the argument. And I, I'll start off with uh, kind of like this premise, premise as a kind of easy response to that. 
Um, have you ever heard of the saying that there's no such thing as a free lunch? Yeah. So in, if we're bringing about socialism or we're bringing about socialist-like principles like universal healthcare, or specifically we'll focus on universal education um, because, or universal college, because that's really what it is, because we already have free public schools, K through 12. But so what people are really fighting for here is, is a free university uh, degree. So if we say free, I think that's very disingenuous because it's not free. Someone is paying for it and it's not going to just be um, rich or the top 1% as a lot of people in this movement that are pushing for that will have you believe. Um, in fact, it's actually going to be the entirety of Americans who are working. So essentially, all of these people who may not, for example, let's say, um, you know, may not ha have already paid for college, let's say, for example, um, they've already paid their student loans, right? And they've had to deal with paying those student loans, many of which may not have been able to afford it. We see it everywhere that Americans are, you know, struggling to pay back college debt, or we hear about stories of, you know, Americans feeling like they've won the lottery after they finish paying off that tuition debt. So how do we then justify giving a, a, a free pass to all of those people, um, all of those other people who now are saying that they want the um, free education um, when we did absolutely nothing for all of the millions of other Americans who have had to sit there and pay back their student debt? and pay back their student loans. You see, all that um, is because our government is corrupted. Um, there should have never been students' loan to begin with. Um, before we have this system in place, um, one point in this country, um, college tuition used to be free. So to answer the question, right, <clears throat> right now we're paying for war. I don't support war, but my tax money goes towards it anyways. Uh, we're paying for nine-month abortion. I don't support that. My tax money is going towards it anyways. Uh, we bailed out the 1% on, on, in 2008. Towards it anyways. There's a lot of system, there's a lot of program that we have within our system that does not work. Changing, changing people regime is not good. It's not working what we're doing. We're breaking other people's country so, they could, so we could control them. So I don't agree with those methods. So I would prefer my money, my tax dollars, goes towards free education and free um, healthcare for people that's living in this country versus my money is going to war or nine-month abortion and other things. And yes, our taxes will be going up. You know, it will go up a little bit because we have to cover it. But let's not let's not forget this um, um, this experience that we just had with um, coronavirus. We all see it. The only people that was bailed out was the rich. The only people that was bailed out was the rich. Everybody else, well, most Americans receive one check for 1500 or more, but only one time. And everything else went towards the one percenters. So we constantly bailing these people out, constantly. Every time there's a, a, a problem in this country, they are the first our government think about. So if we say, okay, we're gonna have free tuition, free this, free that, then it won't be so bad for us when these tragedies happen because we're going to have a little saving to pick ourselves up the floor. But I think that's the thing too, and I'm going to push back a little bit on those points because you did cover a lot of different things in that last statement. Um, one, uh, uh, one thing I will definitely say is that there was never a time when we were getting free college education. 
college education was cheaper and college education well, really was affordable for people. It was something that people could manage to pay and it wouldn't kill them in crippling debt as we see now. And in the same way that you've just argued there, you know, very conservatively in that sense, it, that we shouldn't be paying for abortions or doing too much in terms of warmongering or being the world police and putting our money in all of these other places. At the same time, I also feel that we shouldn't be putting tax dollars into higher education. And I'm going to um, preface that or, or, or defend that, uh, that statement by saying these things. Um, and that's one that not every American wants to go into university. Not every American um, will take advantage of um, university. But what would be done is that more um, money would be put aside to make institutions available for a massive amount of students and what they think or perceive may be a massive amount of students coming in. One thing that I will um, that I will refer to, right, because we've seen a small um, example of this, and this is something that's a lot closer to home for us uh, being in New Jersey, um, in Hudson County or New Jersey uh, across the state, you know, Governor Murphy started out with his, you know, one term of of a free community college for people. Um there wasn't there was an increase um, slightly in the amount of students that decided to take advantage of it, or really particularly new students, right? But they were still fighting to get more people aware about it because you still didn't have a bunch of people coming in and taking advantage of this free tuition term. And, and this free community college situation was for, you know, anybody that was making 60000 or less was able to then sign into community college and, and not pay anything. Um, and they still didn't really take advantage of, of that system. But a lot of the money was already sent out, you know, towards the university or the colleges so that they can um, take in those, uh, take in some of those grants and, and different things that they had to do to prepare <clears throat> program. So in that sense, that's why I feel that across the board, we shouldn't be giving handouts. We sh I agree, we shouldn't have corporate bailouts, we shouldn't have abortion funding, you know, out of taxpayer dollars, we shouldn't have unlimited uh, college uh, for people. But what I do believe is that we should be making college affordable, and we should be making healthcare affordable, you know, because just like back then, you know, nothing was ever free. People still paid for those things. You know, it, it was cheaper and it was a lot more affordable because it was a private market and many people weren't taking advantage of it as they do today. Um, but definitely working to make college and universities affordable and healthcare affordable is a much better option to me than trying to have the government who already doesn't do things well and doesn't manage things well have another thing for them to manage with our tax dollars. And that's doing these really elaborate, um, costly systems. But like I mentioned, I want to really kind of talk about a little bit more about Sweden and talk a little bit about what socialist um, principles kind of did for them. And I just wanted to use it by kind of looking at their, their humble beginnings um, and, and kind of squaring it today. So um, I would say probably in the 1970s, I believe, is when they, when they wanted to start. Um, in the 1970s, Sweden was like uh, the number four um, largest economy in the world. Right. So Sweden um, had it was fourth in the world for economy. Um, they were, you know, had several businesses. People were making a lot of money. They had a surplus in their government um, because spending was, uh, you know, was reined in. Um, and, you know, people were very prosperous. So you would say that that is like a prime cut picking for um, socialists policies, right? Because now you've built up this, you know, big or huge surplus in your country. You have some money to spend. Why not think about giving some more um, services or kickbacks to the regular people of the country? 
So Sweden decided to do that. Um, and they became one of the most generous countries in the world as it relates to social services. Um, they gave, you know, they had nanny support. They had obviously free college, which they still do. Um, they had free universal health care. Um, they had very, very, very generous benefits across the board. Um, they also started to put in more regulations on businesses um, and they increased their taxes from like less, I think it was like at 20% or less. So that was even cheaper than the United States or even lower than the United States. So they increased it from that level where they were in um, the 1970s and they increased it to about half. So now people, instead of paying like 20% or less in taxes, they were now paying about 50% of their wages um, in taxes. Now, with all of that said, okay, um, they uh, they had basically a financial, um, a financial or testing or auditing board, um, similar to what we have in Congress when they tell us how they think public policy or spending is going to do for us. Um, like, what is it doing for us? If it's, if it's good, do we have a good trajectory? What do we have to cut back on, et cetera? So this arm of the Swedish government basically told them after 2015, um, so we're now jumping from the 1970s and going up to 2015, um, they became to a place where they said, you in order, we're running in a deficit. They, we, have, we would have to cut um, billions of dollars just to break even on the amount of spending that we're doing as a government. Okay, and then, so their suggestions to help them solve this issue was pushing through extensive tax cuts, reduce generously, um, uh, re reduce significantly the welfare programs that they had because they were very generous, as I mentioned. They wanted to widen the role of private enterprises. So they basically made a lot of public services private. So they made like um, 401k kind of situations, like they allow people to handle pensions privately um, and to take off some of the load from the government and from the tax system. Um, and, you know, they really cut a lot of these, uh, these, these situations. So, and, and on top of that, you also had um, record, situ record influx of um, immigrants coming in because they wanted to take advantage of some of those systems or they had issues in their countries, like you had Arab countries or North African countries or Syria and uh, refugees coming in as well. Um, but the majority of that was due to their social policies and these type of socialist-like principles put into place. So we saw that, you know, years later, you know, or 30 years, 40 years later, they had to reduce those things inevitably because it was bankrupting their economy. So when you hear something like this in this, this story of, of, of Swedish socialism experiment, um, what does that then say to you about um, universal healthcare and all of these other kind of socialist like princ principles or policies? See, um, Canada have that system, right? Free um, universal um, healthcare. So far, they have little bumps every now and then, but it's working for them just fine. Um, you know, what I would say, right? Um, yes, our government is too big. In order for this to work, government will have to back off some businesses. They will have to back off um, some of the things that they're regulating right now um, in, order, uh, in order for this to work. Um, it's, I, I, you know, in Brooklyn, where I grew up, uh, we have, you know, and I've said this before, we have a lot of young men, young women. Um, I, I know this one woman, um, she wanted to become a lawyer. She was actually prostituting herself to get the money to pay for her education. Nobody in this country should have to do this. Nobody. Nobody should have to uh, um, sell drugs to send their kids to school because they feel like their kids have a chance to make it. Nobody should have to do this. But yet, you know, we're spending money 
uh, uh, um, you know, giving big tax breaking uh, breaks to big businesses. Um, you know, we hear people don't don't even pay a penny in tax. All these things, all these people that we letting, we've been letting um, given the site for the past 10, 20 years without paying. All these people now have to pay tax. You're gonna have to tax everyone. It cannot just be the poor and the rich get away with it because we're quote unquote or they're bringing business in. Forget this. Everybody have to pay their fair share of tax. Right now, it's a lot on us because we're the only one paying it. The only one paying it is us. So now if you say, okay, everybody's going to have to pay the tax, then, you know, the, the, the board will be level a little bit more because now you have everyone putting their fair share of tax in. And those programs, as I stated before, we cut some of these programs. Whatever things that we feel like it's not working, money is being spent uh, 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 for, for nonsense, you cut these programs off. And then once you cut these programs off and you put this system in place, and, you know, like you said earlier, not everybody's going to take advantage of it and stuff. Not everybody's going to make it to college. College is not for everyone. So those money wouldn't be wasted because you know not everybody's going to go to college. Not everybody um, is going to keep up their grade to make it in there. So, you know, it wouldn't just be, oh, we put the money uh, and then anybody could just, no, you have to keep certain grade level in order for you to be qualified for this. You have to be, uh, uh, um, uh, um, you have to keep up your grade from high school, junior high school to high school, in order for you to get this uh, um, program. And I think if we have it in place, you know, it will work. Uh, you know, it will truly work because everything around us is going up. Gas went up, your rent is going up, your mortgage, everything is going up. Your paycheck have not went up. So, on us. Mm -hmm. And that's how I look at it. You know, nothing, our paycheck is not going up, but everything around us is going up. So, how do you pay? How do you save to pay for your kids' education? Well, here's the interesting part about that, Greg, though. And I feel like when you put that into perspective, um, you'll see that in actuality, this could be a detriment to people. And I'll start off with Canada, um, because you did mention that in the beginning. And you've said that, um, for example, that um, he, that Canada is doing just fine on, on the current system that they have. But when we look at Canada, you know, a lot of the people in Canada are really feeling the strain of having to pay so much tax. You know, they may um, somewhat like their system, even though there are quite a few people who have opted into getting private um, care um, in Canada um, to kind of supplement what's going on there because it's sometimes very long wait times for them to, to get to certain um, services that they need, especially if it's not an emergency service. Um, but you know, Canada, in Canada, they're quite strapped. They don't really have much wiggle uh, money to kind of go around and, and and do a lot of the same leisure uh, sort of things that we do here in the States because they have to be very conscious about their money because they know that they're losing um, or uh, losing so much of it. And yeah, you, you get, you know, some cheaper uh, education, right? Um, it's not free, right? It's cheaper. So they don't have a universal health care. You know, they, it's just they subsidize it to a point and enforce colleges to give a better in-state, you know, I'm saying in-state so we understand that here, a better in-state rate or in-country or citizen rate. So it's not free. You know, it's not zero dollars, you know, so they're able to make that float because people are still paying money for their education. Um, it's not like a Germany or a Sweden that's pretty much completely free for someone or, or in, in a sense free because it's not really free because they pay in, in, in taxes. They're paying it back. 
you know, it's not it's not going to be free. You know what I'm saying? Because, for example, you get people who are going into college, for example, they're poor. OK, so that's great. You got, you know, free college for right now. Right. But then you're going into the workforce and you're paying it all back and then some because you're continuously paying this money. You know, you're getting 50 percent of your paycheck taken away or 40 percent of your paycheck taken away and you're constantly paying that back and in, in, in actuality you end up spending more on education than if you would have just forced the government to make education affordable for everyone and to have affordable options for everyone and and that's something to think about let me ask you a question Okay. Why do you think college is so expensive in this country? Because governments decided to subsidize colleges and they brought in Sally Mae and all of these type of lending structures um, to basically give students very easy access to taking out enormous sums of money. So essentially every American was able to take out like $30,000 by themselves, you know, without having to go through a credit check, you know, just for being a student and applying for the loan to go to school, you're going to get like 30,000, if not more, you know, throughout the course of your educational career. And the moment that they did that, university said, well, shit, you know, if we're going to, if they automatically are going to be able to apply for 30,000, we're just going to encourage them to take out as much of the loans as they can. So, and we're going to increase our prices because we know that they're going to get 30,000 of it. So, hey, even if that's the case, you know, and if they're willing to take out a loan, which they were, because students constantly take even more than the 30,000 and are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for education, and that they decided to, the prices went up. And it was only after the government started subsidizing that prices went up astronomically to a point that they really couldn't afford it. When loans came in, when government subsidies came in, that aid contributed 100% to their increase in prices. Because I, I see college, you know, they have luxury lobbies, they have luxury this, luxury that. It's almost not even they like... they know they're going to get know, students to pay for it with student loans. That's why they can afford to exactly. do that. Exactly. So, so then, let me ask you this then. So, who should be regulated then? Shouldn't the colleges be regulated then? Because if you're saying that, okay, because of the subsidy, their price went up, then that's a problem. Why are they not being regulated? Well, the colleges are being regulated, but they're being regulated to the benefit of the colleges and universities. They get all sorts of tax breaks and all kinds of different uh, welfare from our tax dollars, you know, because they're basically making policies, you know, that say, you know, we won't tax you and we'll consider you like almost nonprofit even though you're making billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. You know, they have endowment programs, for example, and these endowments have billions and billions of dollars in those endowments. But the government allows them to not have to pay a crazy amount of taxes on those things um, because they consider them to be an educational uh, institution and or and in a sense almost like a um, almost like a non-for-profit business they don't treat them as, as as they would a regular corporate business so that's a really big problem and that's why I feel that you know and and, and, and this contributes to the pricing right and this contributes to them overextending themselves. If you look at the universities today, you have like vice president of, you know, doing bullshit. You know, I'm just making up titles because that's essentially what they're doing. You have all these vice presidents and directors and all of these other things, and none of it's being regulated because the government is just giving them money and saying, here, you know, just keep taking this money. You know, if as long as we're encouraging more students to take out loans, we're going to just keep giving you uh, kickbacks and we're going to keep giving you tax breaks. And this is going to be a beautiful system for you um, and, you know, and, and taking money. Um, and that is a big problem. And that's why I say the answer to this problem 
is not that we decide to increase the amount of money that a household has to pay, because just as you said, you know, let's not be, you know, think that this is free. You know, their people are going to have to pay for this and they're going to have to pay for this in their taxes. So you're now telling someone who already is just making ends meet, right? Just making ends meet. And let's say, for example, they don't give a fuck about going to college. You know, they don't have a kid. They don't have anybody that wants to go to college. But you're now telling that person that they are forced to pay for not just K through 12 now, because we're already doing K through 12, but now you have to continue to pay for university, uh, university prices and universal education. So what does that person do? The person who decides, well, I'm not going to college anyway, and I'm just making ends meet and doing what I have to do for me. You now tell me that my, my personal income tax goes from 15% to maybe 30%. You know, and, you know, so what does that person do if they're just making ends meet? And that's and that's exactly why I say take the money out of education. The, the answer is not throw money at it because we already see it happening. We throw money like nobody else's business to the inner city schools. And when, what happens with it? They still have poor teachers. They still have, you know, crappy things going on in the education system and nothing has been reformed, despite the fact that they're getting well, thrown all this money. You don't throw money at a problem. You make an option well, affordable. Everybody should be paying for college and everybody should be able to pay it in an affordable rate. Well, I think I think with our um, school system, the government put more regulation on them then they do the college because the college are profitable for them and their uh, uh, friends or whatever they can. They don't put that much regulation in college as they do in, in um, um, high school and junior high school. My thing is, I don't believe college should be getting any kind of tax breaks from government, period. I agree um, with you on that. I don't think um, they should, they should be any getting any money at all from the government. They should be operating yeah, like a be private business and, you know, forced to put their prices at as long As long the colleges have shareholders, it's profitable. Right. So um, the problem is because right now, like you say, let's Um, junior high school, junior um, high school, they still pay for it. They don't have kids. So the same case could be made. Like, okay, even though you don't have kids going to college, you still have to pay your taxes. Now the, 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 the question is, how much taxes are you paying? If you cut all those uh, um, tax breaks from the college institution, from um, any businesses or, or so-called nonprofit that have shareholders, these things... You start charging them the billionaires. You charge them the fair share of taxes. You know, uh, and I'm gonna say this: Donald Trump said it best. You know, if you know if they really wanted to regulate this tax system so rich people couldn't get away with it, they would have done it a long time ago. Well, right. So, and I don't, I, I don't deny that. You know, we can have the corporations that we should stop giving uh, tax breaks to corporations. I think it should be an even distri distribution across the board and everybody should pay in a, a certain amount of, of, of taxes. Well, we, we certainly don't agree. Uh, don't, we okay. don't, don't disagree on that. But what I am saying here is that just by doing that alone is not going to afford a universal education system. So, okay. I, um, do you think if the one percenters are paying the fair share of tax, our tax would be as high as it is right now? Well, here's the way that I look at it here. What do we consider a fair share? Because for they don't example, pay nothing at all. No, because that's just not the case. The, the, the majority of, you know, a lot of the, 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 those tax systems, you know, we have a lot of people that are paying certain amounts in taxes. You know, there are limited amounts of companies that 
literally don't pay anything in taxes, but even then there's still some way that they're, they're forced to pay for other regulation and other um, systems. But even if they were to contribute into that bucket, right. And they were able to pay something. I still don't believe that that would be enough to take for all of these programs. We have like 350 million people in this country, you know, all that, even if they decide to bring in and, you know, and pay a tax in general, we're still going to have to depend on, um, we're still, we're still going to have to depend on, um, people, um, paying taxes at the middle-class level. Cause there's just a lot more Americans at that level. And the percentage of the people who are in that middle-class bracket are just significantly more than the amount of people who are actually rich. And we see in these places, like, for example, people in Sweden are paying their, you know, fair uh, fair share of taxes, right? You know, they've closed a lot of those type of loopholes, you know, that, you know, we talk about in the United States. And, you know, they've kind of curtailed more on um, offshoring and things like that versus the United States. But they're still they still find themselves saying that, oh, we're gonna have to cut some services because we just can't afford it anymore. It's really expensive to afford healthcare or education for everyone. And that's why it has to just be made cheaper so people can afford to pay it on their own salaries in their own way. You know, make it relevant like that um, to uh, to other people now, and I'll take that thunder as a sign of uh, as a sign of approval. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I don't fully agree, but I, I get where you're coming from. Um, like, for example, let's say that five college was five thousand dollars, right? Instead of or ten thousand dollars, instead of what it is now, let's say it's ten thousand. Most people can easily pay ten thousand dollars, you know, for a college education. If we, if it, was, I agree with you. You see what I'm saying? Versus um, having to reconvert a whole another system to create a new uh, responsibility for the government and pay for it, and then also fund the actual project itself. Okay. Um, I would agree to that, um, you know, um, to make it affordable, of, you know, of $10,000 college um, tuition um, and see how it goes from there. Um, but I still don't think our children, our brothers and sisters, white or black, I don't care what color you are, just because you're poor, you have to become a prostitute just to get by. I, I think this is disgraceful. Um, when we're spending money um, in war, we're spending money to, for regime change, we're spending money in um, nonsense. Um, and then we have young kids and you know that wants to go to school, that wants to make something of themselves because of their current situation, they're not able to. So they're just in the street having babies or you know getting in trouble. Um, and th that's how a lot of the, our young brothers and sisters end up in jail. Is because after high school, then what? There's nothing else for them to do. You know, they, you know, there's nothing for them to do. They can't go to school. They cannot afford it. So they just started hanging out in the street, started drinking, smoking, because they have to keep themselves busy. And that's how our community kept going down. Um, and this is part of the problem. So right, you know, I do agree with you. Education is is not going to fix that problem. Like it's not going to give not them. Gonna, it's not going to stop people from being on the street. It's not going to stop people no, being prostitutes. No, it's not going to no. stop people from wanting to you know buy a bunch of name brands so they can feel good and keep up with the Joneses. Let me ask you a question. You don't think. If a child wake up tomorrow, um, this morning, they say, okay, I have to go to class versus, okay, I have nothing to do today. You don't think the chances of that child being successful, them going to school is more a chance and them having that um, opportunity is more of a chance for them to be successful versus them just sitting around the house? Because let's you know, face it, the parents have a role to play on this. 
I understand if the kid is giving problem, you know, in high school, you know, they're not keeping up with their grades. The, I agree with that part, but I'm talking about the promised one, the one that we know that could make it, the one that we know that have a chance of success. I'm referring to those ones. Right. And what I'm saying here doesn't disavow someone from being able to do that. They can go out and get a simple loan that they can actually afford to pay back by making sure that universities are affordable. And what the real issue is, is that we need to make sure that K through 12 is actually reformed and taken care of. Universal health care isn't going to do that. A reform of K through 12 education and the support programs that we have, particularly after school and everything else is going to do that. That is what's going to fix that issue that you're thinking that universal education is going to solve. We already have universal education in that sense, and that's K through 12. So we need to make sure that the universal education that we already have on the books is being executed appropriately so that that way when people are exiting the K through 12 program, that they are equipped to have the right skill sets and knowledge to do so. So if they decide to go for college and find a college that's affordable, that they can get a loan for, that they'll have to pay back, but they'll be able to afford to pay back and that they have the right roots and the right grounding from the beginning in the free program that we already have. Because, and that also talks more to my argument. We have free education for K through 12 and people are still not successful because at the end of the day, there are still cultural things we haven't addressed. There still isn't support issues that we have addressed or support services that we haven't addressed. Those are, there's a ton of other issues that we haven't addressed. And that's why we're having that disconnect in our community. It's not because we don't have universal education. It's just not because we see we already have it in K through 12 and people are still not doing well. So we have to make sure that the program we have on the books already and paying for already works and that when they get yeah. out, they can afford their education. Let me ask you another question. Do you believe our government officials should have their children going to private um, school when they are the one that writing the law and um, for other people's kids that's going to private school? Do you believe these government officials should have a government system healthcare where they don't pay for anything? Do you think they should have a, a, a what? A universal healthcare? No, right now they have a healthcare where they don't pay for anything because they are government officials. Do you believe they should have that? Oh, I see what you're saying. They have healthcare uh, plans, right? That can help yeah. pay for them. No, I, I don't. I don't believe that they should have that either. But this, this is what I'm saying. I think across the board, we need to stop putting tax money in to uh, funding or welfare programs for other people aside from regardless of who they are rich or poor but if they're really poor yes have a safety net but make sure you you develop it in a way that encourages them to get out of the system and not rely on the system for the rest of their lives you know and that's I 100% agree with that. I, but the, again, that's why I also don't agree with putting money randomly into uh, universities, uh, the university's pockets in the same way that I don't agree that we should be putting money into a, a, a affordable health care um, for government officials if, if they can clearly afford to, to pay for it. Well, so far... Um, I, I, I'm not going to say that you convinced me. Um, I, <laughs> uh, I do hear, uh, I do agree with your part, um, you know, let's drop the price, you know, for $10,000, $5,000, depending on the number of people in families. Uh, I, I, I do think that's something that more people will accept and um, more people will, will look at versus the free-free. Um, but nobody... None of our politicians right now is even talking about stuff like that, and, and which is the scary part, uh, and we, because this is why we have um, progressive 
um, you know, like um, um, Bernie Sanders and others pushing it because no one wants to discuss it. Um, you know, it, 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 everyone is protecting their interests. Right. Everybody right. Is protecting their interests. And that's a problem. And that's why Bernie Sanders come out so strong with the proposal that he put forth is because he knows all of these people are protecting their interests. Right. Okay. And I see that that's he's the bastion of of not thinking about self-interest or corporate interest. I 100% get that. But where he falls short on is that he, again, is not thinking about the long-term consequences of some of these policies. I never agree that the government needs to force a private business to do something, right, in any way, in any form, for any reason. I think that it should 100% always be left up to the constituents of the business, right? So the people who pay for the service to institute change. And that's where I disagree with Bernie Sanders. I get it. He is not corporate interest. And I love that he is not corporate interest. But the way in which he decides to go about his policy recommendations does not make sense to me because well, it's you know, forcing people to do something that they should not have to do. If colleges are too expensive, then people should stop paying the tuition and they should force the businesses that they patronize to make the, the price affordable for them. And if not, then we need to make sure that there is every opportunity for other organizations or businesses or colleges to pop up or start up and educate and provide that service at a rate that the consumers can afford. But you don't know why Bernie Sanders came out the way he came out, right? Because he spent years trying to work with them. He spent years trying to convince them. Because remember, all these um, private um, institutions, they're only thinking about their interests and they're only thinking about their bottom line. They don't really care about anybody else. This is why he came the way he came, because he spoke about it and he explained it clearly to why he, he hold the position that he hold. Uh, one of the reasons too why he don't receive money from these people, it was the same reason because once you start taking money from them, then you owe them favor. Um, you know, uh, if you if you remember when um, Barack was running his first term, he, he didn't take money from them. He took money from the people. That made him very popular. Donald Trump, same thing. He didn't take money from corporation. He took it from um, the people. So and I, um, I remember uh, um, Donald Trump even um, criticized um, his friends um, for going to the Koch brothers to get a um, donation to run their campaign. He, and he even mocked them on that. He was like, look at them. They're going to go run and beg for money. That's how we know they're not really working for us. So, I, you know, I know he tried. And I know a lot of people in government try to do the right thing. But they're going again against a system that's been established for years. And two or three people is not going to change that system. And that's why he came out the way he came out to get the people involved in this so something could happen. Right. And that's perfect because that leads us right into our other topic because we've gone well over the half hour segment that we were supposed to. <laughs> so that way we can talk about my what my real interest is for this episode and that is you know the fact that we need a third party you know i just posted on my twitter account before starting this podcast that you know a third party you know donald let's let's reelect donald trump for a second term but after we reelect donald trump for that second term we need to legitimately think about really reviving a third or even fourth party. If the socialists want to have their own party, let them have their own party. But I think we need to have a true conservative party that cares about American people, you know, and cares about American interest. 
and not corporate interests, but American interests. So we are truly a party for the people. And I think we really legitimately have to start this up. And, you know, one thing I would throw out to you and ask you, it's really a rhetorical question because I know you know the answer to that, but what what is the biggest fear of the of both the Republican Party and the Democrat Party? It's to have a third party or a fourth party. Exactly. And That's the they're free fear. because imagine... If, for example, let's say we had a vibrant conservative party of, of, of American patriots who truly love their country and truly want to see real change happen, and we are truly a grassroots party that really just independently works for ourselves and cares about the interests that everyday common Americans care about. Imagine if all of those red states or even all of those red states and some blue states, because they understand where our messages are, are flipped from red or blue to yellow, purple, whatever the, 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 the party's color would be. That would immediately push out the special interest. It would immediately push out corporate lobbyists. And it would force the conversation to start to talk about the things that Americans care about the most. Which is why a lot of people was disappointed in Bernie this time around, because they really believed that Bernie was gonna cut tie with the Democratic Party and go with his own party progressive. A lot of people believed that's what he was going to do because a lot of people wants to have a third party and a lot of people wants to have a fourth party. The Republicans and the Democrats, um, you know, you know, let's take the Green Party, the Green Tea Party. You know, they, they have enough members to be in the ballot. They don't want them to be in the ballot and they do everything in their power to crush them because why? This party, if you, if you have a, a third party and a fourth party, that means the Republican and the Democratic Party is no longer relevant. Right, and they can no longer bounce back and forth between each other, pretending to exactly. hate, pretending to hate each other, and you know, pushing up or propping up their special interests or lobbyists. Exactly, because if you have a third party and a fourth party, and let's say those parties decided not to take corporate, um, corporate interest. Let's just say these parties decided to be for the people. And that's uh, what a third uh, or fourth party would be. Well, for the people. We're assuming, I'm hoping, <laughs> if it ever happened, that's what it would be. One of the reasons why I like Donald Trump uh, and stuff is because he's taking China um, um, on. Because a lot of people, especially in our community, they do not understand all these jobs that we are already lost, all of them went to China, right? So the economy in China is rising and ours is shrinking. Why? Because all the jobs went there. So, you know, we're talking about we're not getting raises, there's not enough jobs and this and that. Well, the reason that we don't have a lot of jobs is because all the jobs is being shipped in other places. And, you know, I really believe, um, you know, the Democrat was going to fight this and, um, you know, and try to get the jobs back until I find out they don't want to sign the bill for the jobs to live in the first place. So <laughs> how can you be for the people? You say you're fighting for the people and then you go and do something like this. And, 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 and to me, it was a slap in the face because it shows that you really don't care about us. You say one thing in TV, behind closed door, you do something else. You know, for example, um, um, I think she's the mayor of Washington. I forgot her name. Um, she painted in the middle of the street, right? And then she renamed one of the street names. Oh, let's defund the police. Let's defund the police, right? Oh, yeah, the mayor of uh, there was Washington, D.C. 
Oh yeah, there was a bill that went to Congress, right? Guess who signed the bill for, for them to increase the police department budget? She did. <laughs> and TV, she said- Because they only care about you know, looking good in public. You know, I feel like the politicians are the exactly. best actors. We should start having a Grammys award and Golden Globe awards and have a section there for the best politician actor. <laughs> You really should because they are uh, celebrities yeah. now. You know, they're not even doing the job of a politician right. no more. They're just celebrities. Like AOC, you know, she loves to write her celebrity and she loves to do all these different things. It's just like she's like an actress, you know, and it's really just the theater that's called the pol politician uh, theater or the political theater, right? And that's what they're all actors to. And that's why none of them care about the us, that, you know, would, and they just want to say nice things to our faces or on TV, but then make horrible deals behind our backs. And that's both sides. Have you ever heard of Nina? I forgot her last name. Um, she was, she's this um, woman. Uh, she was um, with the Bernie um, campaign uh, with Cornell West and all of them. Um, you know, I, Listen, I really believe um, a lot of people is removing themselves from the Democratic Party. Um, I don't know what party they're trying to start. I don't know if it's more um, progressive, but a lot of people feel like the Democratic Party um, have a lot of old members. You see how they call the Democratic, uh, I mean, the Republican Party a bunch of old white men. There's a bunch of old white people and the Democratic Party that don't want, do not want to lose power. So it doesn't matter how many um, black people you put or how many Spanish people you put or Chinese, Asian people you put behind closed doors, there's still a group of people. <laughs> yeah, that's holding on to that power. And the people that they put forth cannot do nothing without them saying so. So I don't know, um, you know, I believe in the Libertarian Party, but I don't think that party is going to go anywhere. Neither do you know, I. <laughs> you, have, you have Republican and it, you have Democrats, and, it, and I believe they join this party for one reason and one reason only, for that party not to come forward. Yep. And that's why you have people that have infiltrated the Libertarian Party, both Republican or Democrat, you know, depending on the persuasion and the state that they are in, you know, they're working their way into the Libertarian Party and they're trying to say, yeah, we care about being Libertarians, but, you know, it's a two party system. So, you know, I have to always run with the Democrats or run with the Republicans. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I still support you guys, but I'm supporting you because I still have to watch you and make sure you're not doing anything that would piss off my corporate lobbyists. <laughs> that's exactly right. what it and is. that's why we need it something a, that's not infiltrated by either of those. And we need it to be really specifically based on the workers, American workers and average everyday American citizens. And the platform for said party needs to 100% address um, real issues for real Americans and anything that seems remotely not conducive to that should be immediately flagged in the, the party platform or constitution of the party as completely, um, fire, a fireable offense, you know, or you're, you're out of the party kind of offense. Do you think this country is, uh, um, um, democratic country, or do you believe this country is a um, dictator? Is on the um, dictatorship. That is a huge topic, and considering that we've now come up on the hour of our podcast for today, um, I would definitely say that we can make that another episode. Um, and we can use it as a cliffhanger because you, you made a really good question to, to put as an ending kind of topic. Um, and I am very excited to answer that question, as I'm sure you are as well, because we both have gone back and forth about whether we're a dictatorship or a democracy, an actual democracy. Um, 
so to, to that, I would say, let's table it. And we're going to definitely use it for our next discussion. And I would like to thank all of you for, again, coming in, tuning in and listening to us for yet another episode of New Black Nation podcast. Um, and again, as I always say at the end of every episode, you know, please feel free to send us a message um, or talk to us on social media. Um, our emails are respectively B Wang, so B W A N G, at MBNUSA.com. Once again, B Wang at MBNUSA.com. And Greg is G Victorin, so V I C T O R I N, at MBNUSA.com. So gvictorin at mbnusa.com. Um, and of course, you can always search us by our full names, Brandon Wang or Gregory Victorin, um, on social media to get in contact with us. So thank you guys very much again for tuning in. And we look forward to seeing you in our next episode when we talk about that very crucial question of, is America a true democracy? Have a good one, guys. Thank you.